Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod, Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. It's episode nine, Pain Points of Wealth. You've seen the headlines. We give you the real story. This is the news in plain sight. And election fears are abound. That seems to be the only thing we can talk about the last couple of weeks. And I wrote recently, guys, use the election volatility as your ally. And as we know, talking to clients, talking to different investors out there, most investors want to go to cash right now. They want to wait for this tumultuous time to be over. But I think you know everyone was very surprised when our president and first lady both came out with the coronavirus and they tweeted it out on a Friday. Markets sold off in the futures. And then by the end of that day on Friday, you know, the market had almost basically recovered all those losses. So it just seems like the fear versus the market action are kind of disconnected right now. And the reality of it is, Markets responding really, really well to all the uncertainty. Well, you know, I'm really shocked at that, Rye, because my whole life as an investor, 45 years, if you look at any one day in the market, you got a 50-50 chance of it going up or down. So let's flip the coin and see what it's going to do tomorrow. I'm getting a lot of calls from our client base, and everybody is having this great epiphany that the market's going to go down as a result of the election. So I would say to you out there, don't confuse your political bias with your portfolio because guess what? You could miss an entire year's worth of returns if you get out now and say you're going to get back in after the election. So what if the market keeps going up now and if it keeps going up after the election? No, 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 Chris. Here's the best thing. We have 2,000 households, right? So you know they're probably even split between Democrats, Republicans, and independents. So now I'm hearing from the traders on Wall Street is that, oh, there's going to be a blue wave, so there'll be no uncertainty in the market, so the market's going to go straight up. And then I hear from the other people, well, no, 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 Biden's going to get in and it'll be certainty that he's going to destroy the country and put us into communism. So the market's going to go straight down. Now, out of 2,000 people, somebody's going to be right. Do you want to bet your entire financial future on some Yahoo being right? Well, here's the worst part to Chris's point, because let's say no matter what happens, we get clarity, we know who's in office, market goes up like 15, 20%, which is very realistic. So if you wait and get back in the market 15 to 20% later, well, over the next five years, think about that. You lose 5% a year of your return. Now, if stocks historically do somewhere around, let's call it 8 9%, you're down to a 3 4% return for the next couple of years. So why even bother getting in the stock market? You might as well just sit in cash and you know, continue to feel sorry for yourself <laughs> you know, that's, and earn nothing on your money. You know, it's either you're in or you're out. There shouldn't be this well, let's get out and get back in and see what happens. That's just insanity. And history tells you time and time again, it's a horrible investment strategy. So basically what you're telling me, guys, is that the market's grown over the last 100 years because the economy and earnings have grown and it's happened under both parties. So you know, how's the economy doing, Chris? Is it recovering or is it going backwards? Is it stalled? What do you see? Well, Dad, I guess that really depends on where you're looking and who you ask. I mean, if you look at the news, you think that the world's going to hell in the handbasket. But everything that's important economically, like things like unemployment, 
earnings, all that stuff seems to be getting better. And, you know, if you look at the markets, the markets are even getting better. Well, man, if you go to hell in a handbasket, doesn't the handbasket burn up before you actually get there? I mean, how does it actually work? <laughs> That's a debate for another podcast. Oh, okay. But look, you know, at the end of the month, we have a GDP number coming out, right? I'm hearing some crazy numbers. That's the point, Bob. GDP growth this quarter is supposed to rebound dramatically, right? Maybe 30% and another 10% next quarter. That's a 40% rebound in GDP. Now, at the end of the day, we know this. What drives stock prices long-term is the economy and earnings, which are tied together, right? The economy improves, earnings should improve, and that's essentially what drives markets. So right now, you have all the uncertainty you can possibly ask for right now, right? We have no stimulus package passed as of this recording. We had an unwatchable presidential debate only two weeks ago, and we have a continued global pandemic. But in the face of that, the economy is getting stronger. The market's showing you and telling you that the collective effort to find a vaccine and to restore the global economy is much more powerful than the force of this viral infection in politics. <laughs> you know, it's the wrong bet. Yeah, but look what's driving the economy right now. We have a gigantic housing boom going on. You know, we were just at a wedding in Montauk last weekend, and I spoke to one individual who had bought a house for 300000 just two years ago. It's now listed on Zillow for a million one. You know, I live on the beach in Ocean City, and there's been this crazy developer who's been buying every property up and putting up these mega mansions, and he sold them all at prices that I couldn't even imagine. So just look in your own neighborhood. Look at how many houses are on the market, how long they stay on. Talked to a client in North Carolina yesterday, put her house on the market down in Boone, you know, North Carolina. It was on the market for five days, got a cash deal, 10% higher than she asked. Well, and think about this. Think about the multiplier effect, right? Because you buy a new home. Now you move to the suburbs. We have this de-urbanization going on. You need a new car. You know, car sales are going through the roof right now, like a 50% rebound in car sales. It's incredible. Now you have to go to Home Depot more. You got to buy more furniture. You've got to buy more paint. So it's not just the fact that housing is booming. It's all the economies around housing, that multiplier effect, which adds jobs to the economy, which gets money flowing into the economy. These are big, big things, and they're much more powerful than your political beliefs. I hate to bring it to you. I hate to burst your bubble right now. Yeah, that's a really good point. And just to kind of go on what Ryan just talked about, right now, spending on things like furniture and furnishing household appliances soared almost 40% from April through August. Now, Dad, I'm going to pick on you a little bit today. I think you probably are feeling that right now because I know you and mom just recently purchased a new place. And I know mom is not holding back when it comes to furnishing and decorating the new place. You want to comment on that a little bit? I think I'm 38% of that 40% number, actually, um, <laughs> looking at my checking account right now. But it's just amazing. When you have a housing boom, it just stimulates so much other growth in the economy and spending is going through the roof. Plus, during the winter, everybody was locked down. All they did was save money. Now they got more money to spend than they've had in years. And you know, the consumer, they love to spend. You know, one of the YouTube channels I follow, the author of the channel was actually interviewing his father-in-law, who was in his late 70s, who had never purchased anything on Amazon. And he was saying that one of his favorite things to do, because he's so bored, is to buy stuff on Amazon for less than $10. <laughs> I just love that because the one argument economists always make is, will the consumer start to spend again? Like, does the sun rise in the East? Americans love to spend. You can never bet against it. And we've proven it again. I mean, with not being able to go on those vacations, maybe you're supposed to go to Europe for the summer. Maybe you're not eating out now because you don't want to be in a crowded space. Well, instead, to your point, Chris, you're sitting at home. I just bought my whole fall wardrobe online. 
I've never done that before. The amount of boxes that come to our door every single day and extrapolate that out to everybody in the whole economy who has more money to spend because people have more money in their checking account today than they did at the beginning of the year because of stimulus and because of savings. So I think that's one thing you should tattoo on your brain is never discount the consumer's ability to spend money in America. You can just never bet against it. So what happens when we get a vaccine or we get some kind of therapeutic or people feel comfortable again and you start traveling, you start taking cruises, you start flying again, that part of the economy. So, you know, we made a ton of money on the lockdown economy. And what about the unlocked economy, right? It's about to boom again, no matter who's in office. We're going to see a lot of industries that have been hurting come back really quickly. Yeah. And I, what I think this all speaks to, guys, is your biggest risk here is not the election. It's really going to be a sustained increase of mobility in the economy, right? It's the risk that we may actually have a vaccine sometime next year. It's the risk that this fiscal stimulus continues to stimulate the economy. So if you're sitting in cash right now, your biggest risk is that opportunity cost. It's a huge risk not to be invested right now and waiting for some like magical sign from the political landscape that it's safe to invest again. It's a crazy, crazy way to be viewing the markets right now. You know, Chris, we had that new client come in last week who was running their own money. They got out on the sidelines in March because they were scared and frightened, which, you know, hey, we're average, normal human beings. Everybody's allowed to be frightened. But he never got back in. And he missed a gigantic five-month move in the market. I mean, it was a relentless move to the upside. And we've only had one correction since then, a 10% correction. So it's almost like, you know, the markets are giving you a chance here. We're going to let you in, you know, if you're smart. And the big problem with that too, Dad, is that, yes, they're still out, but, you know, they're also making the excuse and the rationalization that, okay, well, now I'm going to wait for the election. So, you know, once you get out, you kind of start to make excuses for yourself that every time something comes out in the news or economically that's negative, they're saying, okay, well, you know, this was a good move on my part. But then, you know, five, 10 years down the road, and to Ryan's point earlier, you know, you missed a 20 plus percent move up in the market. And then you got to think about all the years you have to make that back. I think the biggest thing that I find most of you miss, you know, when we're in, in a portfolio of investments is that the return comes from appreciation, but also from income. And when you have a portfolio of high quality bonds and should only own high quality bonds and you have a portfolio of high quality stocks, you're actually making money every day. You know, people think it's buy low, sell high. That's garbage. It's stay invested, get paid while you wait for your money to double. And that's a better way of looking at it. And that's the way you should look at it. Yeah. What it really comes down to is your biggest risk is not the election. It's that person you look at in the mirror every morning and their political convictions that are really stopping you from being a very, very good investor here. And let's face it, if you miss another big move up in stocks, you never get that return back. And if you've already missed the summer melt up, don't miss the next move up too. It's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And guys, Vanguard released their annual report called How America Saves with several interesting facts about the investment world. So I thought we could discuss some of the highlights on the show today. And the studies show that 78% of investors use target date funds in their 401k with 54% using only target date funds. And as we know, target date funds are basically... It's like one and all type of fund. You put money in there, it's diversified for you in one fund, and it gets more conservative as you get close to retirement. And what do you guys think? I mean, do you use these in your 401k? Is it a good idea, bad idea? Let the public know. Well, Chris, you know, you're the king of 401ks here at Payne Capital Management. You have more assets under management in 401ks than the rest of the firm combined. So 
Is this a staple of the portfolios you recommend? Well, you know what, Dad? It's not an all or nothing proposition. We do use target funds in all the 401k plans that we do manage. And I would say a target fund's great for when you're just getting first started in the plan, like when you have a balance of less than, call it $20,000. Because one, as Ryan pointed out, it's a great way to diversify without trying to buy you know, 15 or 20 different funds. It's risk adjusted as time goes on, which is a good thing. So you know, it automatically readjusts for risk. The one thing I would say that you got to be careful of is that typically these target funds tend to be pretty aggressive. So you know, if you were born in, say, like 1980, and you're planning on retiring at 65, you would use a 2045 fund. Well, that 2045 fund might be like 90% equity. So that's one of the things you have to be really be careful of is making sure that the fund that you choose isn't taking more risk than you want to take in your portfolio. Well, I have a really big bone of contention with these target date funds. Really, Bob? We never knew. Well... <laughs> You know, I love equities, right? You know, call me the king of equity. I think that you always have to have equity in your portfolio no matter what your age is, but I can't stand bond funds. And unfortunately, the conservative side of a target date fund is a bond fund. And you know, Rye, we've had some bad experiences in our lives with bond funds. Yeah, we don't like bond funds. We talk about it at nauseum. And the reason we don't like them is because you don't own the underlying bonds. They don't come due. And these bond funds tend to take more risk. You end up owning things like junk bonds in your portfolio. And I don't know about you guys. I never want to own anything called junk inside of my investment portfolio for retirement. And the other thing is you just can't diversify that well in these funds. So as you build up your net worth, and I'd say when you have over $100,000 in your 401k, I wouldn't want a one-size-fits-all approach. And especially if you have other options that you can pick from your menu, you could build a really, really well-diversified portfolio. So you really got to understand what all your options are, especially as you build up that balance inside your 401k plan. So it sounds like to me, it's a good place to start, not a good place to end in your 401k. So as you accumulate some decent money to invest, you want to be able to diversify on your own, make sure your 401k has all those options. Another interesting stat, guys, from this Vanguard study is 74% of all Vanguard 401k plans offered a Roth option, but only 12% of participants in those plans had elected the Roth option. Now, as we know, a Roth option means that you put the money in after tax as opposed to pre-tax like a normal 401k. But the nice part about the Roth 401k is, guys, the money is completely tax-free. All that growth you take out later without any tax, which is pretty sweet. Well, I think it's a missed opportunity. And I understand the thinking because when you make a deposit or contribution into your 401k, you get to write it off on your income taxes. And we always, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't like paying tax. And I don't know anybody that wants to pay more than they have to. When you put into a Roth, it does grow tax-free, but it's kind of like a deferred benefit, right? It's a deferred gratification. And so I understand the reluctance, but you know, it's a big mistake, Chris. Don't you think you see that happening when only 12% of participants put money in a Roth? Yeah, absolutely, Dad. You know, the other thing too is I'm seeing right now, especially with a lot of our currently retired clients where they put all their money away pre-tax, you know, with the idea that in retirement, they'd be in the lower bracket. Well, guess what? They're not in the lower bracket because they're pulling all their money out of the retirement accounts or spending the same amount of money. So they're essentially paying the same amount in taxes. And chances are, I don't know about you guys, but I think taxes are probably going up in the future. Yes, Chris, we call this the proverbial ticking tax time bomb, right? So all that deferred money, eventually it's going to come to roost when you take it out in retirement and that can bump your tax bracket up majorly. So, and in this year is a good example as well. It's a pandemic year. Maybe your business didn't do as well as normal or you didn't have the same wages that you had that year or you didn't make as much money as you did last year. Well, for all those reasons, it might be a good year to put that money away after tax because you might not need that deduction 
like you normally do because you're in a lower tax bracket. So there's so many reasons to look at a Roth. It's like a huge, huge opportunity that most investors miss. Which brings me to my next stat, guys. In the 10 years between 2010 and 2020, the number of people holding company stock in their 401k dropped by 16%. What might be the reason for this? And would you consider it a positive trend? I would. Right. I think that's the best statistic I've heard on this podcast since we started. Because I think the big mistake that we all make is that we understand risk in the market. But you know, we don't think that there's risk in the company we work for. And there's huge risk if you have your paycheck coming from a company, and then your stock options are to buy stock in the company that gives you your paycheck. And then you invest in your 401k in the stock that gives you your paycheck and your stock options are based on. It's something that I saw in the 80s and 90s, where a lot of people actually got wiped out because companies like Sperry Rand and Enron went out of business. Chris, Bob probably won't tell you this, but you know, Bob worked for Merrill Lynch and he had his almost his entire net worth in Merrill Lynch stock. And me being his advisor at the time, I told him to diversify it before the stock went down by like 80, 90%. And because of that, I saved Bob all that money. Most of the inheritance now is going to me. Right. Would you say that dad pretty much owes you everything that he has in life? Chris, I think that's the most accurate point ever made on this podcast. You know, Ryan, I'm still upset that the last trade was at 86 and it did get to 89. And I just still want to know why you didn't get me those extra three points <laughs> before it went to two. Well, dad, I uh, think unlike you, Ryan doesn't spend hours and hours on end haggling with the traders at the trade desk. But that's the whole point. You know, I worked for the greatest firm on Wall Street. I was one of their top producers. I knew the company inside and out. I had a tremendous belief in the power of Merrill Lynch. It's a 100-year-old company that I, in my heart of hearts, couldn't believe could ever go under. And I was like the you know shoemaker without shoes. I didn't have a plan. I was overly concentrated because I was too focused on helping other people achieve their goals and dreams. So you can't be blind by your own ignorance about your own company. Doesn't matter what company it is. It could be the greatest company in the world. Anytime you have one stock in your portfolio, you're not an investor. You're a gambler. You're a speculator. This is actually a great topic right now because a lot of us might have gotten enriched recently because of an initial public offering. You know, you may have stock in a company that just went public that just went through the roof. Like we had that company Snowflake over two weeks ago, went up 100% at the open. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, look, we got all this great opportunity. Things are going on within the company. It's going to keep growing. The company can continue to grow. But at some point, Wall Street just might not like the stock, you know, and it can completely sell the stock off, no matter if the fundamentals are good or bad. So you also have to remember, as you like to say, Bob, don't confuse brains with a bull market. Right now, stocks are going up and up and up. It's a great time to diversify. Don't wait for those extra points. Get your money protected for the rest of your life. You know, Rye, snowflake can melt. You don't want that to be your portfolio. And the last stat, among people who have access to a 401k plan at work, men are more likely to contribute to the 401k than women, even at salaries above 100000 Do you see a difference in gender savings rates with people that work with you? You know, I haven't really because you know, we're the one giving them advice on how to invest. What I found is that all the women that I worked with turned out to be much better investors than the men I work with. They're not as emotional. They're not ego-driven when it comes to retirement. They're goal-based in their thinking. And I'll tell you what, the most successful portfolios I've ever managed in my 45 years were women. Yeah, that's a great point, Dad. As a matter of fact, in a lot of the plans that I do for my clients, I find that between the men and the women, the women actually tend to be putting more money in their 401ks than their male counterparts. So I don't necessarily agree with that statistic. Just so you guys remember what your mom always taught you, women are smarter than men. All right? Don't argue with her. <laughs> 
Well, I do think there is a divide in our industry. And I think that there's a lot of men that are financial advisors. Now at our firm, we're 70 to 75% women, but the average firm has mainly men as financial advisors. And a lot of times, I'm just saying that men can be maybe a little condescending when it comes to giving financial advice. And I suspect that may be one of the reasons why women a lot of times don't save as much because they're just not getting good advice, which is so important that we do have more women financial advisors in the industry. And we do bring that gap in because there's going to be, let's face it, there's more women going to college. There's going to be more and more successful women than men out there, and they need to be educated on their finances. It's critical. That's why I hired your sister, guys. You know, she's a certified financial planner. She's the youngest of the three of you. Not saying she's the smartest, but, you know, we'll let you guys figure that out. Well, smarter than Chris. Right. That's a very low hurdle to overcome. Bob, Chris, and I have now spent a collective 70 years helping individuals just like you with their planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything we teach you here on this podcast, along with some due diligence on your own, can help you get ahead financially at any stage of your journey. But if you have over 500000 saved for retirement and you want a more hands-on approach and guidance, you can apply for a free financial review at www.paincm.com slash financial plan or click the link below. We can put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, and a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on the right path to achieving financial independence. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan, see if you qualify for a free financial review. The hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob, Ball Corporation recorded the lowest coupon ever for a junk bond with a maturity of five years at 2.875% in August. The double B rated market, aka junk bonds, is about 55% of the high yield bond market as of the end of July. Bond buyer beware. Right. That's amazing. Junk bonds with a yield that you used to get in treasury bonds. You know, when you look at bonds, folks, in your portfolio, you want to have two things. You want to have a bond that comes due and you want to have a fixed coupon. Well, this bond does have a fixed coupon, 2.875%, but it may not come due. The problem with junk is that they can go out of business. They have a higher probability of failing. So when you invest in bonds, you want safety. Return on your money is important. Return of your money is paramount. Stay away from junk. New York City Blues, Chris. Overall, about 10% of Manhattan office workers were back as of September 18th. The city's unemployment rate during the summer was 20%, the highest rate in more than 40 years. Is anyone ever going to go back to work in this city? Well, you know, Ryan, that statistic's not very surprising. This past weekend, I drove out to Long Island and I sat in New York traffic. And I can't imagine anybody in their right mind wanting to go back to work in the city just to sit in that traffic. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I can fit my entire office in my backpack and work basically from anywhere. The true mobile man, Chris. I'm impressed. Since 1928, the U.S. stock market has closed at an all-time high on roughly 5% of all trading days. That means the other 95% of the time, the stock market is in a state of drawdown. We're always trying to get back to that high, Bob. Well, of course, we always do, right? Every drop in history has been temporary, and new highs have been inevitable. Now, that's only been going on for 300 years, but you know, who knows? Maybe it's different this time. But when I hear the statistic that 95% the market's in a state of a drawdown, when 95% of the time the stock market's in a state of a drawdown, what that tells me is the best time to invest your money 
is 95% of the time because eventually 5% is going to end up at an all-time record high. Markets inevitably go higher. Over the past 40 to 50 years, the 60-40 standard portfolio has done spectacular. From 1983 to 2010, Chris, it returned 9.9% annually. Man, that's a good return. That's a very refreshing statistic considering over the last since 1983, all the crazy events we've had in our markets. We had the crash of 87, we had the dot-com bubble, we had 2008, and then most recently we had the corona crash. So it just goes to show you don't have to take a lot of risk to reach your goals and make great returns. So maybe we shouldn't get out of the market for the election. Sound strategy. So Bob, airline carriers just announced layoffs of over 30,000 employees. Meanwhile, Walmart said it would hire 20,000 seasonal workers and its e-commerce fulfillment centers for the holidays. Hey, Rye, this turns out it's good news, and then it's bad news. Well, the good news is you don't need to get on a jet to go to Walmart. The bad news is they're doing really well with their e-commerce, which means I don't get to go to Walmart to see all those funny-looking people. I mean, it's like the most entertainment ever had is go to a Walmart supercenter. It doesn't take much, Bob. It doesn't take much. So, Chris, where does lithium come from, the heart of the Tesla battery? Well, miners get the elemental lithium from salt brines left over from ancient seas in places like Chile's Atacami Desert, the driest place on earth. That's great news, Rob, because I just recently purchased several thousand acres of property in the Atacama Desert in an attempt to corner the lithium market, just like the Bass Brothers did with the silver market. Although I don't think that worked out too well for them. I'm bringing my shovel, brother. We got a new enterprise going. So far this year, there have been 127 initial public offerings in the US. On an equal weighted basis, Bob, those offerings have produced an average first day pop of 38%. That's an awesome return. I'll tell you what, Rye, you know what? IPOs are 38% returns, first day, fantastic. Sounds like that should be the only strategy you follow. But as it turns out, most IPOs over time underperform the overall market. So you always see the big hot IPO jump up. Most IPOs go down the first day and never recover. So IPO strategy, hey, it's great for a cocktail conversation. Stay away from it in your own portfolio. And if you get that first day pop, sell, sell. So Chris, the technological foundations of the internet were actually funded by the government, not Al Gore, contrary to popular belief. The Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency and the National Science Foundation, say that two times fast, turned over the backbone of the internet to the private sector in the early 90s and was commercialized through the invention of the World Wide Web. Well, it's absolutely shocking that a politician such as Al Gore would stretch the truth and say something outlandish as, I invented the internet. You mean he didn't? Well, who knew that government ingenuity was actually a thing? So, Bob, dividend payments have become an increasingly important source of investment income in recent years as bond yields have plummeted. A cornerstone of our strategy, of course, is generating income from our stock portfolio. But at its peak in 1982, when you were a young professional, Bob, living it up, the 10-year treasury yield reached 14.3%, more than nine percentage points higher than the S&P 500 dividend yield. Why didn't you just lock all your clients, Bob, into like 40-year treasury bonds at 14.3%? Yeah, that's the problem, right? There are no 40-year treasury bonds, but I did buy a ton of 30-year zeros, especially for your college education account, and made more than what you needed to go to Villanova. But over that period of time, stocks have trumped the performance of treasury bonds dramatically because unlike a treasury bond, the rate is fixed. When you buy a stock like Procter & Gamble, they've increased their dividend 64 years in a row. Coca-Cola, 58 years in a row. You got Colgate has increased their dividend 57 years in a row. I would much rather own an increasing yield investment than a fixed investment that comes due and I got to start all over again. 
Fair enough. But if I'm getting 14% treasuries, I'm buying. Chris, it turns out Christmas now comes before Halloween. This past week, Target announced its Target Deal Days, which will occur on October 13th and October 14th as it kicks off the holiday shopping season. The same day as Amazon.com is running its Prime Day promotion. Man, oh man, it's getting silly. I've got my Christmas tree back here already. Well, right, that's really great news because I was going to run out this week and pick up a giant inflatable snowman for your roof deck. Classy, Chris, classy. Okay, Bob, old school over new school. Sherwin-Williams, an old school paint manufacturer, is actually up 74% since March 23rd through September. That beats the 65% gain of those new school stocks like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and Google. Who knew? Well, who knew? Exactly right, Rye, that paint would be as uh, attractive as an investment as an iPod or, or a Facebook account. But the fact of the matter is, picking individual stocks is hard. If you buy the index, you get to own all these stocks and not have to uh, decide, is paint going to outperform iPhones? So at the beginning of the year, you're telling me you couldn't see that we were going to have a pandemic, we were going to get shut down, and because we were shut down and living inside, we were going to go crazy on redecorating our apartments and our homes. Bob, come on. That was the easiest call of the year. Well, actually, Rye, if you go to the uh, page 17 of my market outlook, you might have caught like one or two thoughts about that. But otherwise, my crystal ball broke a long time ago. All right, gentlemen, great show today. As always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.